Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's Af Malhotra again on Straight Talk with Af. Now, of course, I say this to you every single time. I do not disappoint. I never will. Today is, again, a very different show, and this should blow your mind uh, because I have a special guest with me. This is an individual I met in my past life, and I had brief interactions with him, enough for me to feel like he um, needed to be on the show today. And his way of thinking, his approach to leadership, his ability to start with something fresh and brand new and start it up and build it to actually getting into the mix of an established business, restructuring uh, restructuring that business, growing it, expanding it, and now moving into another dynamic space as a, a leader uh, felt to me as if you know his skills, his wisdom, his traits, who he stands for is appropriate for, appropriate for straight talk. And as you know, we care about startup mavericks and not everyone has to be a startup because startup is a ideology, it's a culture. And so today I'm honored to have the wonderful Rajesh Subramaniam on my show, the CEO of Results CX, and of course, many, many other accolades. So Rajesh, welcome to Straight Talk with Af. How are you? Very well, Af. Thanks for having me on the show and thanks for all the kind words. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. You've uh, given us an hour of your time and I need to make the most of it, of course, as I have you here. So I just want the world to know that, um, you know, Rajesh is a person of multi dimensions and different incarnations throughout your life. You've done different things in your professional life and your personal life. I met with you when you were at a company called First Source, and you were the CEO of this pretty cool company. And you were solving a lot of problems for listed companies, financial institutions, and various other companies related to you know contact centers and help desk and you know every time someone called and had a grievance or needed an answer to a question rapidly you had this incredible army of specialists around the world who who made that happen and of course you know you were white labeled no one ever knew this was the company you would be called bank x or bank y and somehow you well you founded the company and then you went in and out and there's a journey there and you have so many stories that I'm going to try and extract today before all of that, though, there's got to be a person that I haven't met yet. And so what do we need to know about Rajesh? What's your story? What's Who who are you really? Where did you come from? How did you end up in this world of corporations? Uh, please give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour so we can try and understand uh, the bigger picture, the wider picture, and the personal story. Sure. So uh, I come from very humble beginnings. Um, uh, you know, was born uh, in, in Chennai. Grew up in Calcutta. I lost my father when I was six years old in an unfortunate accident. And so it's basically been my mother that's, uh, you know, raised my sister and I as a single parent. Mm. Uh, grew up with some very humble, modest uh, upbringing. Uh, mother was a school teacher, came from a, you know, very uh, low middle class family. Uh, but uh, surrounded by a lot of successful people. Uh, you know, it could be my uncles, it could be my cousins, it could be, you know, so... So, you know, the ability to measure success fuels a certain ambition and the ambition is to succeed and replicate what, what a six-year-old believes or eight-year-old believes is success. And at that right. point in time, uh, I, I realized uh, that inquisitiveness, curiosity, ambition, uh, drive, uh, these are nice mantras and nice words people use today, but uh, sometimes you're born with them. Sometimes a situation brings out that 
that uh, element in you and the i i hung around with very smart people people smarter than me and again it's a mantra today people say you hire people smarter than you but you know from your childhood if you've had the privilege of being exposed to an environment that fuels a certain degree of ambition to succeed mm. successful forward it's it's the journey is as important as the result and there have been many pivots in my life which i could have taken but today where i am af talking to you sitting in uh, on the east coast of america as the ceo of results cx backed by chris capital would have been the same outcome any uh, irrespective of whichever pivots i had taken in life because i believe i've just been blessed with you know the right attributes given you know some of the hard upbringings i've had uh, early on in life mm. so that's a little bit about uh, you know my personal background and it's mm. been a fun ride so far and 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 my mantra is very simple i i need to learn the day i stop learning my game is over uh you know i i could teach a lot of people a lot of things that's because i learn it's a continuous process and and the day the mind goes uh flatlines the heart flatlines that's mm. that's what i believe mm beautiful and so if i may i just want to probe a little bit around that because um you talked about an interesting uh, distinction between you either born with something these traits that you've articulated or it's um circumstantial it's situational of course and again that's not uh, given right so there's a there's a, no linearity there you either, there are many other variables that come into play what was that moment in your life if 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 at all and perhaps you've done your thinking or or you haven't but i i will ask what was that moment in your life where you felt that uh, some of these traits that you've now reeled off were you uh can you just share some either episodes or stories where even at a younger age you know when you're sort of you know wet behind the ears you know you've got a lot of gusto and not as much wisdom but at least the drive certainly uh, were there any any key events in your life that created those exponential moments of realization good good or bad and of, uh, by the way often they're bad they're not always related to success that is uh, far and few between and i and i i think it's it's very simple you know uh success in life comes from 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 the basic ability of wanting to be competitive whatever you do you want to win and 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 to win you have to do your best you have to go outside the comfort zone of doing your best and mm-hmm. early on you know getting into competitive sport getting into competitions which might seem very silly you know in kindergarten fourth grade fifth grade sixth grade but getting in because you want to win if you don't have the desire that you want to win you will never undertake the journey that journey teaches you lessons which will help you to win maybe not in that circumstance but somewhere else but there are no shortcuts in providing the effort in in wanting to win if you have to play 100 balls in 10 minutes to get that forehand right in tennis you got to do it you got to serve thousand serves you got to do it it's going to hurt but when you get back to the tennis court when you get that muscle muscle memory going it's going to help you you might always run into stronger opponents but you will have your time of the day where your skill sets come to bear so so for me the requirement for success situations has always been what 
subconsciously my mother has done she put me in 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 things which obviously i have no ability to go and enroll into you know few things mm. you know debates or quizzing or tennis but she just let i mean she found it that this boy needed an outlet yeah. to to change the circumstance in which she was raising us and you know it's never a single ingredient that cooks a meal it's a multiplicity of things that come together yeah and, and what makes it the perfect ingredient that stays in the dna that stays in the muscle memory and that fuels success and that's how it's been for me yeah superb and so you had your your life journey and you know of course you had a trauma you lost your father at a young age and your your sister you're the older one are you or your sister the older one my sister is the older one right and so um you had that dynamic and of course you then you had your mother who took on both roles i imagine and um whenever that was in india i guess it was you know a few decades back would it would have been a different india and so it's a remarkable how a parent or parents can sense and respond to the needs of the child and then of course then a large part is the child has to then develop and like a seed you know flourish and uh, turn into a, a big green bright tree which which you did and where did your career then take you did you fall into sort of this area of um technology or you know services what, what was what was your gig what was your journey my, my journey was I, i i call myself a visual mathematician i i like numbers numbers talk to me right I, for me uh, you know you know the old saying in god we trust the rest we check so the rest we check is where the money the numbers add up so for me i've always had the privilege of working with very smart people hanging around with very smart people so you align intellectual capability with common sensical principles that result in an outcome that is measurable that's what numbers uh, do mm-hmm. i mean you see a lot of people lost in esoteric zones and they're not able to bring it down to something which is actionable so they remain you know the high intellectual quotient but unfortunately not practicable in you know how you drive uh, you know life situations so for me for me it's always been numbers and and early exposure to stock market investing my mother was a sub broker so she was dabbling in stocks wow. so you know when she retired as a teacher she found that as a calling i learned from that i got exposed to people who were talking a language which was greek and latin then i started making sense of it as i was studying those courses uh eventually and that's when the muscle memory comes back it mm. allows you to relate and then everything comes back and and fundamentally what's helped me through the journey is some never believe somebody else is dumber than you always believe that somebody else is smarter than you that that somebody can be your driver your watchman can be the chairman of the board can be the most the wealthiest guy in the room you're learning something from someone all the time take the goodness understand the goodness absorb that ignore the faults and and make sure that you get to the next level of what your own evolution is and trust me the last 30 years i've been working that's exactly what i've been doing and that's mm. why i am today mm that's beautiful i like the bit around ignore the faults spot the you know focus on the goodness i think it's a very very important leadership lesson and lesson for all managers or aspiring leaders because i think in the busyness of life and the busyness of the amount of information that is coming our way today Uh, especially of the last 3 to 5 years post covid as well 
it is very, very difficult for established, aspiring, you know, um, brand new managers or leaders to really figure out which model is workable for them. And I would say to a large extent, I'm going to go down this path in terms of uh, inner outer in a moment. I think the pedigree and the background you come from, whatever it may be, you know, I'm not saying, you know, privileged life is better than uh, someone who's not been so privileged and so on and so forth. It's what you make of it. I think this is what you're essentially saying. Uh, that that matters. That attitude, that mindset is really, I mean, it's common across the world. You speak to leaders all around the world, you know, across eight, the 8 billion people that we have. There seems to be, we don't get along in, in many ways, but there's some things that are consistent. One of those things is what you've just described, which is this idea of attitude and mindset, uh, which of course, when some of us have it, everything is glass, um, you know, half full actually. So that perspective makes a massive difference. So one of the interesting things I see about your career also is, of course, I'm touching a little bit on DNI, is that you started your career, I know you were at an organization called Walden, and you opened up the uh, the, the the first yeah. ever uh, branch in, in India. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so, I, And then I want to sort of segue into another area. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of history as to how yeah. I have back. Walden was actually the one of the earliest Silicon Valley venture funds that set up in India. So I restarted Walden uh, when I when I rejoined them in 2008. So it was the first uh, right. uh, foray for Walden. So so I you know I, I had a career in investing and in corporate finance consulting. So I was doing stock market investing. I was doing mergers and acquisition advisory, valuing companies in all mm -hmm. advisory bases, and then. Just before the dot-com bust, I became a venture capitalist because you know, time from investing to money was very easy and you know, became a venture capitalist for all the wrong reasons because it was a nice place to be in and you could get rich quickly. Again, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. life of the eight-year-old, right? I mean, you know, all the wrong reasons in life. Uh, but I liked the venture capital idea because I was meeting so many smart people, so many people with so many ideas. 90% of them will fail. Because they don't, they have what I call supply side economics. I can build X, Y, and Z, great things, but I don't know what the market wants. I have a fair idea of the market wants, but I don't know how to execute on it. Mm. So what happened was venture capitalism intrigued me because of life is about the network. It's not what you know, but what you gather from people around you. And 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 for me, I, I really love that model, but I knew I was going to be a ranked failure. Because mm. I've never built a business in my life. What can mm. I go tell somebody? I should be in private equity. If I know numbers, I should be in private equity. I should be in buyout. And none of those in 99, 2000, you know, were evident in India. They, mm. You know, you didn't have, you know, growth capital. You didn't have buyout. You know, you, the regulations didn't allow, you know, some of these to thrive. Mm. So that's when I, I, I joined ICICI and what became ICICI One Source, which was, I was the first employee of the company, built that to a successful IPO in 2007, along with the founding team uh, as a CFO. Uh, and then I said, I have done my journey from a business plan to an IPO with 100,000 shareholders in a company. I know how businesses are built. I know the mistakes people make, you know, you have scars to show for it. Mm -hmm. Now is the time I think I'm right to get back to the venture industry because people will respect me, not because Walden has the money to invest, but there is somebody that gives them a little more than money, which is how to build a business and how to avoid mistakes. Right. So that's how I went back into venture capitalism and 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 Walden was the platform that I restarted that. Right. Wow. Okay. And so you um 
as a leader, of course, had a tremendous amount of experience in India. So, you know, you obviously understand the culture, you know how to build companies there and 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 all of the wonderful things that you learn in the East. And yet you also have worked in international organizations. And now, of course, you're in the States, in the East Coast, doing something totally different. Um, I want to sort of step back for a moment and just look at the state of the world uh, right now. And, you know, outside of your CEO responsibility and leadership responsibility in your professional world, as just as a human being, you have uh, your, uh, you know, your radar up and you're observing like I am and like we all are. And so we have a mixed bag today. And we all know that, of course, we're coming out of a COVID situation into this new world, economic instability, war, uh, climate relation related fears, um, uh, even as wild as alien alien landings and UFOs, you know, depending on who you speak with. So there's a lot going on on the planet, in all in all in all senses. There's populism, the, the governance systems changing, the move away from democracy, etc., etc., etc. And business leader, leaders in the, in the world of business, uh, some of them have been around for a long time and continue. A good example is our friend um, Jamie Dimon at JPMC, who seems like a he really does like that position and uh, has, has been there for a very, very, very long time. And there are a few like him in the world, not many. Uh, and then, of course, there, there are many who are um, less comfortable with the frenetic nature of, of the world. And they're asking very important questions like we are at Straight Talk. So well, one of the first questions I'd like to table with you is really um, sort of dual. One is related to leaders and leadership uh, and what sort of you know, human-driven leadership do we really need now, given that you come from a certain generation as well, where, you know, myself in my mid-40s, I grew up on uh, the the last 50 or 100 years of what we were taught coming out of capitalism and the management books out of MBAs, which we all know said certain things. And I grew up on that diet. Now I've changed my diet and I'm realizing it's like moving away from processed food to Ayurvedic food, right? Wow. I got the benefits immense. And I'm starting to see things I'd never seen before, almost in ultraviolet, right? And that realization creates an awakening of sorts. And many people are awakening, even in the corporate world, even leaders are saying, hey, what I did 15 years ago, I think I need to change it. This is insane. Um, So my first question to you is, as an individual, as in your professional life, but also in your personal life, what is... Uh, what is concerning you about the world, number one, and to unpack that for a moment, and then related to that, based on what's concerning you, how do you think leaders are dealing with it? Maybe the good and the bad side. Um, I, I wanted to get that perspective and spend some more time on that first. Great. So hmm. I, I think what's concerning me is, uh, is, is, is two things. Uh, the, the, the generations... Uh, which which are now coming into the workforce or you know are getting ready for you know their first mortgage or whatever mm. it is there is a sense of entitlement uh, some things that you know you and I have wouldn't have seen because we grew up from from whatever we had we knew mm. uh, you know it it wasn't entitled we had to earn for it you could right. come from a privileged class you could come from a you know non privileged class but still there was you know, uh, certain things didn't come easily. You, you know, it had to be earned. It, it there was a time and place for it, and that's that's not the other. And so, so I, I think there's a there's a there's a generation of uh, of people uh, that are coming into the workforce. Um, you know, basis how the world is. Uh, you know, they believe they're entitled. 
The second mm-hmm. thing which worries me even more uh, is, uh, is, is, uh, is a generation of people with low self-esteem. And for me, that is extremely worrying because that's, you know, the mental health, everybody talks about mental health, you know, mm. it's, a, it's an expert. It is, it's always been there. It's just getting worse because imagine, you know, look at the exposure kids have, you know, earlier, uh, social media was supposed to connect people, you know, it, it was supposed to connect communities and do stuff. Right now, you know, if 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 somebody doesn't like somebody else's post, I'm just dumbing it down. You know, yeah, yeah. somebody doesn't get an acknowledgement. There is a lack of self-esteem. Mm. There is there is you know there's a belief that they're being ignored, and and that leads to a downward cascade of yes. of a whole bunch of behaviors that has a very dangerous contagion effect. And 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 what what it was meant to be and how business models and how capitalism has mm. driven some of these uh, requirements. Even, even if I don't put something on, I'm goaded saying, hey, why are you silent? What's happening? You know, why aren't you not spending money? You know, we have missed it. So, so you see what's happening. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's just that these couple of behaviors around low self-esteem and entitlement, for me, this can prove to be extremely destructive uh, mm. going forward. And at the end of the day, whether it was 30 years back or now, people have emotions, people have feelings. People go through the fundamental three emotions of fear, uncertainty, doubt all the time. Mm. How do you mm. deal with those emotions manifest across different generations in different forms? But how do you solve for it? As a leader or as 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 a member of a family, when you're living in a family in a community, when mm. it's your friends, your family, your relatives, or whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's at work, it's the nuances are the same. How you deal with them is is different. So for me, at this point mm. in time, how do I deal with twenty thousand plus people? Because at the end of the day, what they do impacts the experience with my clients, and if my clients are extremely happy with the company my shareholders are happy so so for me at the end of the day the mental health of my employees their where their ambitions are where they where they are in their own you know journey as to what they've earmarked for themselves if if i'm not able to solve i can't solve for everybody but if i can't provide that culture and the environment for them to thrive my game is over and and mm. so Got it. So that's a, it's a great point. It's a sense of entitlement that comes up a lot, of course, and that's um, and I'll give you a, an interesting perspective on that because it's been debated. So um, one side of the the coin is the sense of entitlement being the concern. When I speak to people who are on the other side of the fence, they would of course vehemently disagree uh, that they they have a but sense. They don't know any other way. I mean, that's the only correct. way. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Of course, because they would argue our default is this. This is what this is our diet. You gave us this diet and we grew up on this diet. And that's all we know, of course, because, of course, how do we put ourselves back into 25 years ago when you had it tough and, you know, you had to work hard and push trolleys or be on the checkout in the supermarket and so on. So they have their perspective. But I hear you. The second one, I do have to agree with you. It's a worrying situation with mental health and the lack of self-esteem. And, of course, the over and extreme dependence on being liked actually, both senses of the word, by people, which is the most bizarre thing, you don't even know, and in fact, don't know you. But the lack of likes on a platform can have catastrophic mental uh, illness-related effects on young people. 
And we see that happening for boys and girls, men and women. Uh, and of course, I, I don't I, th I don't think people like us are immune to it either, because let's see, let's say after all, these systems have been developed with behavioral science in mind. I mean, the dopamine hits that we get, of course, why are we on our mobile phones constantly ticking and pressing buttons? Because I'm addicted to uh, maybe on LinkedIn, not on TikTok, right? And so this is a very dangerous, uh, dangerous world that we all operate in. Um, the metaverse is something that is even more worrying because now you are asking us to go into this wormhole of another world within a world within a world with, you know, intangibles. And uh, that becomes our identity, you know, uh, moving forward. That is one of the technologies that I feel very worried about as much as you can create a lot of fanfare and excitement around it. The leadership role then, therefore, you have going back into your work, like wearing a CEO hat now, you say you have 20,000 people. I mean, how do you deal with this? Because, look, frankly, you have all sorts of people working in your organization. I mean, you have 20,000. That's a lot of people. And uh, I assume a lot of people are working in India, some in the States, different parts of the world, right? Um, how do you, so knowing what you know, what are the, uh, the what are the ways to combat this, if at all? I mean, you could say, ah, I don't have the answer, but what are you doing as a leader to try and manage the situation? So what I'm doing, Af, is not to be prescriptive. It's okay. this game of not saying do this, do that. It make you, it doesn't work. I mean, I have yeah. people working in Philippines across, you know, different cities in Philippines, uh, in India, uh, in Bulgaria, in London, in Mexico, in Honduras, and in America. It's a pretty diverse workforce. But what works is storytelling vulnerability. So mm. what I do is I tell people, I talk to people about my stories. Mm. I talk to people about all the mistakes I believe I've made. I talk to people about everything that gives me joy. Uh, mm. I, I talk to people. So, so what happens through the storytelling medium, you're not being prescriptive, but there is a basis of how people can identify with situations that they go through. Now, if I have 20,000 people who have five stories to tell, it's 100,000 stories. That's 100,000 learnings or at least 50,000 learnings out there, which people can. So, so what people should know that they are not alone. People should know that they are not the only ones going through it. And once when they have the sense that, how did somebody go through it? What did they deal with? It's... it's it's like free psychiatry, right? You're not paying mm. somebody to go and get advice, but you're learning from somebody's stories as to how they dealt with the situation and how they solved it. So mm. for me, storytelling, life is storytelling. Life is about how we identify as people across borders, across cultures. At the end of the day, the feelings and emotions, when I, when I told you in an organization, it's the same. You know, human beings are governed by a lot of fear, uncertainty, doubt, Yet they want to further their life. They want to be ambitious. They want to go. And so you bring, bring the ecosystem as what is innate and what they want to be. There's always a conflict. Disappointments happen. But as long as you have a safety net, you have a community within the organization through communication, communication yeah. all the time. Uh, I'm hoping it makes an impact. I can't solve for everybody's problems. But mm -hmm. if I can at least ensure that the organization is stable, people want to show up for work. People don't drag themselves out of bed to show up to work. Mm. I think I've done it well. And, and, and the validation for me is certifications on great places to work or 
so how do i connect i mean i i can have an employee satisfaction survey i can have all that but what people tell outside what people put out on the social media posts as to what they they're belonging to the company is a validation whether it's working yeah yeah bang on okay so storytelling flexibility being dynamic as opposed to being prescriptive and i think one of the most important things uh, storytelling of course is you know age old and so powerful actually part of cultures as well if you look at many ancient civilizations and cultures right if you look at india the mahabharata the ramayana uh, filled with stories after stories and stories within stories and of course human beings actually are quite simple regardless of which part of the world you're in we all get captivated by stories my little my little boy uh, the 2 year old boy and my little daughter that's all i do with them in fact nothing is you know rational with them we just keep telling stories and stories are so powerful and they don't go away in terms of their impact and value when you get older we forget we think it's fine for a child the storybook after storybook in fact the older you get i think the more stories one should tell because we start to detach ourselves from what it means to be human and storytelling is the most powerful gift that human beings have got especially when we now talk about ai and generative ai and the dominance of ai which everyone's worried about i always say the human aspect what makes you human love compassion empathy vulnerability all of those things that you've just talked about the second point you made was very important vulnerability i want to ask you this because i've spoken to many leaders and when you cut through all the 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 crap basically and you sit down and have a bottle of wine with them or whatever it may be then it all starts to come out and one of the things i've seen leaders tell me honestly and openly uh, which i'm sure you will is that vulnerability being vulnerable is not easy okay uh, so it's easy to say hey be vulnerable john uh, af you should be vulnerable but of course what um and this is brilliant there's a ceo of a footsie company who will remain nameless i was having lunch with him and he said something interesting to me he said af one of the things that winds me up so upsets me i said yes gone he said he says is when the media and people around you expect a ceo to wake up every morning come to work and just be empathetic and just be compassionate and just be inspiring it's almost like you think i'm ai i'm not human you've forgotten that i'm human and then he threw a curveball and i'm touching on this deliberately where he said and you forget that maybe at home maybe at home i do come from a home i don't have the ability to be vulnerable i don't have the ability to be compassionate i don't get compassion and so you know he said stop going to stop judging leaders like we are ai it was a very interesting perspective i said that's a fair point man because you're only one guy or gal and all the pressure is on you in this whatever whatever structure we've created be it a pyramid so how do you get your managers and your leaders to be vulnerable i don't mean it's i i it's not a switch obviously but how have you done it in the past no so i the first thing i've done is i've i've told these guys exactly what you said they said i'm i'm far from perfect i'm imperfect and you know and i and i tell them beat with my kids you know every saturday evening when we having our our dinner it's storytelling i tell them all the goofy all the screw ups i've made in life make it yeah. humorous but there's a life lesson in there yeah. yeah you know it's okay to make the mistake because i've made it you yeah. don't have to feel bad about it but this is how i dealt with it or yeah. this is going to be a mistake don't make the mistake so you know it's but it's in a goofy environment so then they relate to when they go through the situation at work i i keep telling people listen if you're going to be doing everything at work that i'm going to be telling you that you need to do the company is only as good as i am and it it's going to end up in mediocrity at the end of it's going to it's going to end up mediocre mm. but 20000 of you are going to tell me what's happening in your lives and how you're relating to your customers 
and solving their problems and that's what drives innovation mm. he got me an amazing company now mm. for you to open up and talk to me i'm going to tell you what i did 30 years back when 30 years back culturally it was a hierarchical leadership correct People yeah used to tell you what you're supposed to do and ideas were stifled and how did we break those glass ceilings how did women break those glass ceilings how did uh, juniors you know became superior to the seniors because they went to other organizations and then they held better titles and then organizations who said hey we shouldn't have let this person go so mm. there's a whole bunch i mean there's not one way of how you solve for this but a level of transparency honesty a level of not reading out from a playbook and ensuring and showing people that hey i have screwed up a lot and i have scars to show where i have got to in life is because i have surrounded myself with smart people and those people have helped me succeed so mm. if you if 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 all of us have to succeed it is servant leadership i stand behind you i don't stand ahead of you mm. and i'm here to support you you're not here to support me and if i have to support you all the time the game is over we will mm. not create value for our shareholders we will not create value for our customers Mm, mm, beautiful. There's something that reminds me. I mean, I'm going to touch on this. I and I've interviewed numerous people and I find that coming from a dual background or being bilingual or trilingual or quadrilingual or coming from another culture, I and maybe I'm biased, right? This is unconscious bias, so if that's fine, <laughs> disclaimer. I feel that that gives a a special um advantage an unfair advantage i would even say i'm not going to be diplomatic about it to people who understand different mindsets and different cultures and i say this because i you know i always weave in some of my interviews i had a wonderful interview with uh, desh deshpande who is who i'm sure you've heard of he's a bit of a legend in the industry and runs something called deshpande foundation so and i had the privilege of spending a lot of time with him and his leadership principles are very very simple I mean they're almost so simple that he has I haven't got it here but a tiny book it's about this big about 60 pages and this small and it, you can literally skim through it in 20 minutes and that is it he sums it all up in in those 20 minutes not a 500 page book which he could of course and what when I listen to you and when I listen to you and I've spoken to many leaders from different backgrounds not just asian indian backgrounds other backgrounds too I find that that ability to um uh transpose to transcendent into another realm another uh, being able to relate to another type of mindset and it's there very very uh important nuances it could be the dynamic of the way you speak it's the story you use it's the attitude it's the pacing it's the patience it's the simplicity of what you say i think you have then therefore the ability to relate to more it's a little bit like you know thinking of a neural network you're able to connect to many many more at different levels have you found and i'm of course jumping the gun i certainly feel that uh, i'm i've seen the difference between leaders who are of of multicultural backgrounds and those who are not i can see it straight away how much has your indian uh background given that you've worked for all sorts of companies assisted you uh and where i'm going with this is of course your family background your mom your story your personal story i get that um, your relationship with you know the culture with spirituality um i'd be keen to understand that side of you because when you make these statements for leaders who don't come from your background maybe they don't get it maybe they're like well oh, it's easy for him to say he's been around for 30 years made all the mistakes now he's you know 
giving us wisdom. Um, but I do think that your background has something to do with it. I may be wrong, but tell me how your Indianness has given you an unfair advantage. I, um, I don't think that's, I've never thought of it on that uh, vector. Uh, I have to be very honest with you. The, 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 what I use is ultimately it's people everywhere and, and you're solving for a problem. I mean, different yeah. people have different, you know, cultural nuances. Somebody would be high oh. IQ, low EQ. Somebody would be high EQ, low IQ. The common thread is you need to connect with the lowest common multiple. If I can, I'll tell you some interesting stories, you mm. know, you learn more from the floor than you hear, learn from the boardroom. So the days I used to be smoking, I used to go to the smoking area in, in the company I used to work. Mm. And I used to hear the chatter of all the kids out there. What are they talking? What are they buzzing on? What do they like about the company? What don't they like about the company? They, and a lot of them didn't know I was a CEO because that again was a pretty large organization. Blending mm. so in there and understanding what they want what is the chatter and chatting up with if you think somebody is going and saying something which is not it, it reflects that they just chatting and having a very easy conversation without hierarchies without divulging who you are mm. and and so connecting with that lowest common multiple and that is true across geographies mm. in some geographies people don't care whether you're the ceo or chairman they're there you know to make a paycheck and they go in some places it's a career they want to make so they behave differently. Mm. But at the end of the day, connecting with that, the lowest common multiple and being the same human being, whether it is to the chairman of the board or to the shareholder or to the regulator or to the lowest common multiple, that equanimity, I think, you know, do some cultures, you know, teach you that better than others? I don't know. I'm not a good judge of it, but mm. this is what has worked for me. Mm, mm, beautiful. Okay, good. Fair enough. Uh, and that's that's a fair point where you're saying that the, you haven't looked at that vector before. But hey, I planted the seed anyway, so you can think about it at some point. Um, let's move move on a little bit as we come um, towards the sort of the later half of the the, the show. I wanted to get your viewpoints on a, a topic that is close to my heart, which is being discussed quite a lot, which is around diversity, diversity and inclusion. And it's phenomenal because all around the world. I feel diversity inclusion has its different global faces. It's done differently in um, East versus West, even in the East, and there are many other manifestations of DNI based on which part of the East. Uh, and there are sort of six communities that I tend to talk a lot about, one of which is, of course, gender, race, then LGBTQ+, plus, uh, neuro and cognodiverse. You know, neurodiversity is now becoming more of an issue that we're becoming aware of. Uh, and realizing some people are realizing, ah, oh, I am, I'm actually neurodiverse. I didn't realize. No wonder I behave the way I behave, right? <laughs> um, phenomenal. And uh, people with physical constraints, unfortunately, you know, they they need a voice, they need a say, they need to be recognized. Multi-generational age, I call it age and multi-generational, that dynamic. Um, and all of these factors that that sort of come together in these diverse communities tells us that in the workforce, you have all sorts of people all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds. And these are just the six core, five or six core uh, diverse communities. So as a leader, um, and you know, I've, we've been studying this, trying to figure out who's doing what, where, how, and without being cynical about it, I mean, there are some organizations that are doing a great job and that take this seriously and they've got a DNI officer, they've got HR officer. That doesn't mean they're doing DNI, but unfortunately for some it does. And many people are going down the path of just being a tick box exercise based on the SDG goals or, the, you know, the various agreements and accords, accords that have been sort of laid out. 
How do you, you know, you have a fast growing business. It's a technology company and we're going to come to that um, nearing the end of the show now. So how do you look at diversity and inclusion? I do see you, I've seen many of your posts on LinkedIn. Of course, I've been spying. And I noticed that there is, it's clear that you have a huge focus on DNI, you know, um, you've, from your, from your posts, uh, women's um, gender parity, equal pay, um, and other communities that you've represented. So it's clear as a leader that this matters to you. And I see that in your tone. Uh, firstly, well, tell us what you're doing about it. Why does it matter and what are you doing about it? And then I have one or two other questions around, you know, um, leadership in the future around DNI. So why does it matter? I, I, about? Absolutely. So I, again, you know, the, the DNI, ESG, these are all, you know, uh, concepts which have, which, which have existed in many forms historically. So, for me, the only principle I use is meritocracy. I'm, okay. I'm, all I'm saying is people who are, are deserving for the job should get the job. Uh, and, and somebody who deserves the job in, if, if for example, if 100% of my organization was all male and 30% could have been replaced by women or by uh, you know, different, uh, you know, different orientation of, of people who are more capable then, then, then that one gender, I, I, I think the organization has done a disservice for its customers and shareholders. So for me, it's the right person for the job. And, and if it allows me to correct a skew, which it should not be, and I will do it because it's important. And then the example I give is very simple. Why, why has this become an issue today goes back to our history when when, when, when Henry Ford says that, you know, as long as a car is black, it's fine. It's, it's one way of looking at it. So you had one assembly line, one set of components, one paint shop, and one type of car that came on. Today, you see around you. Today, you see the number of, today, you see the number of cars, models, designs, the engine, horsepower, color, shades, finishes. You think one type of people would be able to produce that many? The homogeneity in a workforce doesn't work. And that comes back to meritocracy. You need people from very different thinking, very mm. different orientation, very different cultures, ethnicity, whatever it is. Today, you call it DNI, you call it ESG, but it is for the good and the health of the company and the environment and the community you're in. So right. for me, that's the filter that I use. Mm-hmm. Saying that, hey, there. If I don't get an alternate point of view, if I don't get a point of view from a different perspective, we are going to cap out. We are going to top out at some point in time, and somebody's going to eat our lunch. So having conflicts, having issue-based conflicts, having different points of view, having these debates, and then solving for the problem and aligning people towards that common goal, for me, DNI helps me solve that larger problem. Mm-hmm. Love it. I love the way you describe that, actually. And I like the uh, the, Ford, the the Ford example, because it's the, the total opposite of that, the other end of the spectrum. And I guess this is the world we live in with the, the choices and the preferences and the type of customer base that is changing rapidly. And of course, the customers are more informed than even the service providers or the product providers these days, because they know so much more. And uh, that's the advantage of having information. I mean, you and I can exchange so many notes because we get exposure peer to peer that the manufacturer or the service provider might not know. Correct. And, and, and so, so then the question is, 
how if they have only one type of a workforce they will yeah. never know what is out there so they, so I, all i'm saying is all these things which are now which ha, ha, have been mandated is not because it's a tick box in in a board approved in an sec requirement but what is good for the company for the health of the company and its success yeah yeah beautiful nicely put nicely succinct and and i love it finally tell us about what you're doing right now so results cx what is this company about uh, firstly why did you take the gig if you don't mind me asking and because uh, there's got to be a reason for it of course at this stage of your career and what is what is so special about this organization that feels um good to you you feel excited about yeah no i, I, I honestly uh, why i took the gig was as i said i i like disrupting my life i hate to be in a comfort zone yeah uh, i you know i i i'm you know you know whatever people who are half my age usually will take the risk of moving geographies and and doing stuff but i decided to do it because i said if i don't do it now i'll never do it and i'll always be in my comfort zone uh i had I had a great set of investors we acquired a great company it was a little bit of a lifestyle company mm. it was it was doing well but it was it was mm. it was a very nice happy place you know but it wasn't living up to its full potential what this company could achieve with the core assets it had in terms of people the relationship mm. people had among themselves with the clients and the kind of work we were doing i think the picture we could paint with this is mm. more significant than what uh, it was being represented so we said right. let's buy it and let's tell our story and mm. let and 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 we are not doing a bait and switch it's not that we're doing saying something which we're not doing we're doing so many things that are so impactful that it should come out and it should enable us to solve for our clients problems uh and create value for our shareholders so we saw all this mm. said, let me jump into the deep end and i like i always love jumping into the deep end of the pool and then swimming to the shallow end and i said you know let me do it Uh, at this stage in life uh, you know my kids are you know in you know senior school heading to college so they 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 are not in that disruptive age where i'm doing mm-hmm. something is completely going to upset and you know pull the car you know wheels of the car and for all this thing you need a very strong partner yeah what my wife has sacrificed through all my ambitious years of, mm-hmm. of doing whatever i do to fuel my ambition if you don't have that support at home uh you know i jokingly tell people you know all my life i've been a traveling salesman i've been doing all kinds of things but i get home before my kids call me uncle so, <laughs> so it's the wife that's been taking the brunt of of managing it yeah. so i i i i think you know all the constituents came together and i said let's do it Right. And tell very quickly what what is it that you're doing here? What is the the problem you're solving? What's the disruption you're creating? So so we are basically in customer journeys uh you know earlier you know uh, we we are in a, we have a CX platform that works across healthcare payers, consumer tech, banks, uh retail companies, uh e-commerce companies. We are basically driving a lot more insights into customer journeys. So I'm trying to achieve three things basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to help my customers retain their customers better. I'm trying because retaining customers is cheaper than acquiring new customers and right. to both of them. I'm helping them sell a little more into them so you retain them so that they're not just stagnant but you know you're increasing your footprint. Mm. And while achieving both, I try and reduce the cost to serve. 
And right. this is simply, I'm, I'm putting it in very simplistic terms. There's yeah. a lot of effort, terabytes of work that happens behind. Yeah. But achieving these three drives efficiency. Now, whether I use chat GPT for certain lines of work, whether I use uh, different chatbots, mm. ultimately, I'm trying to improve the customer experience that happens because I'm improving the work life of the person that's solving for it giving them enough time to go through coaching, to giving them enough time to learn new nuances. And this digital ecosystem, which is in place, enables my employees to spend that time required in themselves. Just a simple example. If somebody mm. comes in to work for nine hours, if they're working eight hours for one hour for break, they're going to burn out. Mm. But digital AI with uh, an ecosystem internally, if that eight hours becomes seven hours, but I get paid for eight hours because I'm driving the outcome. Mm. It's not that I'm shooting myself by reducing my revenues. But if I am billing for eight hours, but my employee is working for seven hours because and a chatbot has automated a whole bunch of things that they've been spending time on, it just reduces attrition, improves mm. the motor score, which is a surrogate for churn. And then mm. my client says, who are these guys who are doing well for me? I, I'd like to you know, give them a little more work. And mm. that's how. In this you know, everybody talks big name, transformation, you know, digital transformation, you know, automation, chat. At the end of the day, without all the words you said, empathy, love, feeling, mm -hmm. contextual understanding, it's a human being across the fence that's able to solve. Mm. And so you believe that's fantastic. And so you, I guess what you're saying, your thesis is very clear that uh, AI and tech, advanced technologies are important because they help you save time, money, productivity, allow you to do other things, even if it's resting and chilling out and staring at the ceiling or doing some meditation for an hour, uh, which is, well, that would be amazing, really, if you think of, of human productivity and fulfillment. Um, so they are there to make our lives easier. Technology is there to make our lives easier. You're not saying that the AI needs to replace 60% of what the human is doing because, well, it's there's more margin. It's more profit for me. Uh, you're clear that it's just an enabler and it's not a replacer. It's it's not a replacer because if it becomes a, <clears throat> very simple, is the world static? Ten years back, the way you consumed your services from your bank, telco, your cable provider, is it the same today? It's not. AI cannot predict what the next generation of services is going to come because sometimes what happens, just a contextual understanding. Mm -hmm. Hey, Mr. Okay, I won't take names because it's, it's too risky for me. Hey, airline company, thanks for a wonderful experience. I landed up in San Diego while my bags landed up in LA. So the, the response is, we, we're glad, Mr. John, you enjoyed the experience. So do, do you see what happens to AI? When they don't get the context, I'm just dumping it down. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's nuances for more complex, mission critical, uh, you know, regulatory driven, regulatory sensitive, you know, legal sensitive industries. You see how this becomes, it becomes a lot more complex. So mm. without human supervision and intervention, both in partnership with the right balance, you know, for some dumb down questions could be 80% AI, 20% human. Mm. But for a lot of the more complex world we're living in, AI will coexist, subset with uh, uh, human uh, expertise. Yeah, got it. Understood. So that's fantastic. And for where do where can people find more on Results CX and the on what what is the website that people can go on? There are loads of loads of executives who watch us as well. By the way, 
Yep. So we we are www.results-cx.com. Uh, we uh, you know the website is uh, is slightly old. It's now we are completely rehashing it. So my I'll, I'll urge you to take a look at it. But come back in three months and you will see a very different look and feel of our company. Okay. Excellent. And you're based in uh, Fort Lauderdale in the US. No, the, I'm based out of Jersey City right now. So I, while our company is headquartered out of Fort Lauderdale, I, I operate out of uh, uh, the, the northern side of the eastern seaboard. Okay. My final, like, brilliant, thank you. Um, and um, we will absolutely publicize that. My final question, two last two questions, and we close off the, is the first one. Um, you you just walked into a room and through some form of a miracle, your 16-year-old version walks in at the same time right now. Right now, just oh, you that door opens up, uh, and you've got three minutes or less than that with that person. What are you going to say to them? Uh, I, I'm sorry, if I, I missed the question. Okay, so question. you're sitting where you're sitting right now, and um, so the door opens, and a 16 year old version of you, the young version of you, walks in just for a few minutes, and you have an opportunity to share whatever your wisdom, your knowledge. Um, try and picture yourself in that in that mode. What would you say to the younger version of you? Now, uh, I have a great life. Uh, uh, how's uh, I, I don't change anything about yourself. Just be the person you are and enjoy the ride. Let there be mystery. Where there is mystery, there is going to be profitability. Just remember that. Where there's mystery, there's going to be profitability and prosperity. Okay, great. Wonderful. That's lovely to hear. And my last one, how did you find the experience today, Rajesh? Uh, just a few seconds on Straight Talk with me. How was the experience? Uh, some words to, to make us work no, hard. I have, uh, I, I, absolutely. A, I, I, you kept it very easy. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it because you've asked me questions which nobody's done it. I mean, nobody's done this. You know, people ask me about company performance numbers. You know, it's always that. And, the, and, the, and, and you've brought out certain nuances, some answers that were not prepared. It's just come out from the heart and I hope it made sense. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed this interaction because, hey, I didn't feel that you spent an hour and a half uh, and maybe yeah. you don't see time fly by, you know, it's time well spent. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you very much. I had an equally, um, you know, enthralling time. There are a lot of very important lessons you will probably not realize because you said them, but we'll bring them back to you and nice snippets and nice quotes that are part of your life. And we don't sometimes realize, you know, when someone asks you a question, that's when you're digging much deeper and thinking, hmm, on hindsight, <laughs> that is my life. That is how I define my life. And uh, which is why it's so, so such a privilege for me to have people like you on the show, because it's an incredible learning exercise. And uh, like you said earlier, you know, you're a student of life. And um, thank you so much for coming on my show. It's been a real pleasure to reconnect with you. And uh, we wish you all the best in your new journey with Results CX and everything else that you're doing. No doubt we will be in touch. And uh, for our listeners, click on the bottom right there, subscribe button. You can watch this episode of uh, Rajesh and various other episodes that we have on the show. So with that in mind, thank you so much. I'm going to sign off. I'm Af Malhotra. Real pleasure seeing you, Rajesh. Thank you so much, Rajesh Subramaniam, CEO of Results CX. Be well. Take care, and I look forward to seeing you very soon. Thanks, Af. Thanks. I really enjoyed the session. Thanks, Denise, for setting it up. Cheers. Bye. Thank you.